We on? Okay. All right, guys, let's, uh, let's get started. I know this is everyone's favorite part of church, so I feel bad ending it, but... Um, my name's Morgan. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm an elder here. Thanks. Thank you. Um, my family have loved this, this church for a long time, and really happy to be here and share with you what's on my heart this morning. I've really benefited from it and been blessed from it, so I hope uh, it's the same for you. Um, let's just pray real quick. Just invite the Spirit in, because without it, nothing good is going to happen here, I promise. <laughs> uh, Lord, thank you for this morning, for bringing us together, for making this day. And just all we ask is that uh, your word is here, your presence is here, and that our hearts are open to it, and that we are molded just a little bit more like you by the end of uh, uh, this Sunday. So thank you, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right. This morning, we're going to continue in the vein that Rebecca started last week of kind of a New Year's, New Year's vibe, but I'm going to have us look back a little bit at last year. And the reason for that is whether you had a good year or a bad year, we gained a whole year of experience this last year that I think we should not go to waste. I think it's important that we take advantage of everything we learned. Now, maybe you had a great year. I don't want to assume that everyone had a hard year. If you had an awesome year last year, please tell me. Like, I would love to celebrate with you. We would love to celebrate with you if you had a great year. I was on the other end of the spectrum. Last year was a super, super hard year for me personally. Um, I think Rachel and I probably had our hardest year of our marriage after 11 years, and mentally and physically it was really hard for me. Definitely hit low points in both of those areas. Just wasn't able to take care of myself very well. Dabbled with a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of depression for the first time. A um, couple highlights. I fainted during a job interview. In case you're wondering, it's not a winning strategy. <laughs> I walked in my sleep for the first time. I woke up in Lucy's bed with my head on the windowsill. I don't know if sleepwalking is bad for you, but I didn't like it. So, so I feel very strongly that I owe it to myself and to my family to have the guts to at least look back at last year and just ask myself, like, what happened? Even if you had a good year, I think it's worth looking back. And I'm not going to give you like a 40-page questionnaire. We're not doing a super deep dive. I just want to ask you one question this morning. And that question is, what is your squirrel? All you note takers, get that down, Brett. What's your squirrel? Got that? And to unpack that question, I have to tell you a story. So before Wes gets back here and completely corners the market on dad stories, I'm going to get one in. I hate squirrels. I despise squirrels. A lot of people say when they meet God, they want to ask him why he made mosquitoes. No, squirrels. They're just furry rats in the trees, and they just get into everything, and it drives me crazy. I don't know why anybody likes them. I can't stand them. And my animosity for squirrels really started when I lived in Minnesota with my wife. We lived there for the first six years of our marriage. And we had trees, and we had squirrels. And they got into everything, like including our roof. You'd be sleeping, and they'd be up there doing God knows what, and it was loud, and I hated it. But the worst part was we attempted to cultivate raised garden beds in our backyard. And these squirrels would come through and just take one bite out of everything. It was so annoying. And they'd wait till the perfect time. Like, you're going to get it the next day. And it's been, it's been tampered with, you know. 
And I got so frustrated that I went out and I got a daisy BB gun, like air rifle, you know, with like 10 pumps, metal pellets, okay? It wasn't enough to kill a squirrel, but it would jump about this high and make me really happy. And so I kept it by the back door, and that was, if I saw one in the backyard, I'd get out there and just try to, you know, hit it. And one day, right after Scott and Lucy were born, our twins, our twins were infants, and at the time we were really into doing like the baby wraps with the, the, the sheet thing. So not like a well-engineered baby carrier, but just like a blanket that you get on yourself and hope stays. We were into that, and so I had, I had Lucy, my daughter Lucy, in it, and Scott was kind of fussy, and so I'm just holding Scott. And I pass by the back window, and there's a freaking squirrel out there having his way with my tomatoes. And I'm just seeing red. I'm so angry. Like, I should obviously put Scott down, but he's, like, kind of fussy. And so I remember that I'd heard you can do two babies in the wrap, that that's possible. I hadn't actually seen it before. I hadn't been trained in it. But I thought, you know, I have a mechanical engineering degree from the hardest school in the world. I can do this. This is not beyond me. And so I, like, add an extra loop, tuck in. I kind of push Scott in there, and I'm, like, I'm feeling good about it. And that squirrel's still out there, having his way with my garden. And so I grab the air rifle, you know, and they say, do 10 pumps. So I do 10. I do an extra two, because, you know. And I step out in the backyard, and I spook the squirrel. And he goes up a tree, and he's, like, sitting on a branch. And normally, this is where I stop. I don't like to shoot the BB gun higher than the fence, because when I inevitably miss, I don't know where it's going to go. But not this time. I'm so angry. I'm going to get him. And I take, like, two more steps into the backyard, and I raise it up. And Scott pops out into this like perfect little headfirst baby swan dive. And this is where it goes full Hollywood. Not slow motion, slow, 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 slow motion. I just let go of the rifle in the air and swing my hand down. And right as his head's about to hit the ground, I catch him by the foot and swing him up. And it's a perfect dad save where they're only in this situation because they're with dad to start with, right? And what feels like 45 seconds later, the rifle hits the ground. Thump. And I'm standing there, and I'm just thinking, what am I doing? <laughs> I'm just holding my son upside down. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, how did this squirrel get me so worked up that I put my children in this situation? Like, how did, this, how did I allow this to happen, that this stupid furry rat distracted me so badly from what was most important to me? So to unpack my first question, what's your squirrel? What I'm really asking is, what is drawing your attention, energy, or passion away from what's important? This is the question for, for 2022 when you look back. Like, what was it that was pulling me away from what really, really mattered? And to drive this home, I do want to share um, one sobering biblical story that means a lot to me. And just like Rebecca, we're going to go, we're going to go a little OT on you back to Judges. And there's a story about a man named Jephthah in Judges chapters 10 through 12. It's pretty long, so I'm just going to paraphrase it, and we'll look at a couple of verses at the end. Um, so this is after, Rebecca was talking about Joshua actually going into the promised land with Israel, and this is several years after that, where it's before the king, so it's before Saul and David, and it's this time where Israel is like constantly struggling with faithfulness, and periodically a judge is brought up. Either God blesses them with it, or they bring them up themselves. And there's a man named Jephthah, and he's, he's um, son of Gilead in the land of Gilead, but he's born from a prostitute. And so the, the true sons of Gilead, when their father, father passes, they throw him out. They say, you were born of a prostitute, you'll have no part of the inheritance. They throw him out of the land, and Jephthah ends up in Tob. 
or he takes up with adventurers, which we believe to be probably mercenaries. So he's a gun for hire up there in a reckless land. And sometime after that, the Ammonites come to attack Israel, and they need a leader. And he's a very skilled warrior, and so they go and they ask him, can you come save Israel? <laughs> and Jephthah's like, no. <laughs> yeah, right. And they're like, come on, we will make you the ruler. If you can deliver us from the Ammonites, we will give you, give you power. We will make you the ruler of Israel. And so he accepts. He accepts. This would mean coming back to the land that his brothers had thrown him out of and, and being over all of it. And the first thing he does is he writes a letter to the king of Ammon. And he says, why are you, why are you attacking us? So he's not just a warrior. He's, he's a diplomat. And the king of Ammon says, well, those were our lands first. And you came and took them. We're going to come take them back. And Jephthah responds with a pretty lengthy history of how Israel ended up in that land and why they should be allowed to stay. So he's not just a warrior and a diplomat. He's a scholar. He knows his stuff. But nonetheless, the king of Ammon's not having it. And so they go to war. And Jephthah is at the foot of the battle. He's ready to engage. And he makes a vow to the Lord. And this is what he says. This is in Judges 11, verses 29 through 31. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, If you give the Ammonites into my hand, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it in a burnt offering. I first read the story a very long time ago, and I had assumed at the time that this was, that Jephthah made this vow because he lacked faith, that he was afraid, that he was worried that he would lose, and he made this vow, despite the spirit being with him. But I have to tell you, rereading the story, and for me, in the context of last year, and as a husband and a father, I see it differently now. I ask myself, What if it's just ambition? What if in this moment, Jephthah just wanted this victory more than he wanted anything else? Remember, there's a big carrot being dangled, right? He gets to go back. He gets to become the ruler of the land if he wins this battle. And so in the heat of the moment, he just wants that victory. He wants to win, and he makes this vow. I'm sure a few of you know how this story ends. He wins. He defeats the Ammonites. And he returns home in Judges 11.34. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of tambourines? She was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. And Jephthah's devastated. He tears his clothes. He's destroyed. And in that moment, he realizes like the depth of his mistake. I think I will never be in this exact situation. None of us will. But I've realized this last year that especially husbands and fathers, we end up in this situation in like little tiny ways all the time, every day. I'll give you an example. You know, during the weekday, the mornings in my house are just totally psychotic and you just hope you survive it and nobody gets punched. And then, and then I go to work, right? 
and my job sites are kind of far away. And, and I, like, I work till five, and then maybe I drive home, and I get home at six, and I got a shower. And then my kids go to bed at eight. So during the weekday, I have two hours with my kids, right? If I stay one extra hour at work, that adds 12% to my workday, but it cuts 50% of my time with my kids. That's not to say I never do it, or it doesn't have to be done sometimes, but I have to be serious about that. That's a big trade that I'm making for my family and for my kids. It's a little tiny gypsum moment in there. And again, sometimes you gotta do it. You gotta finish this thing, because the guys come with the cement truck tomorrow. I don't know what it is. But I have to be honest, or am I just trying to impress somebody? Or am I just like so focused on the task? I'm like, I just have four more screws. I don't know what it is. But all of us, in some way, can feel this pull. We feel this ambition or this need to get approval. And it can totally distract us from what's most important. The good news is that the remedy for this, the remedy for our squirrel, whatever yours is, I don't know, the remedy is to just appreciate, enjoy, and savor what's good in our lives. It's just to slow down just enough to remember what matters to you. I believe that when that squirrel was in my garden, if I had just looked down at my daughter's face, felt the warmth of my sun against my skin, like I would not have done what I did. And I also believe that Jephthah, at the, you know, at the foot of the battlefront, if he had thought for a second about every day of his life after that day, I don't think he would have made that vow. If he's anything like any of the fathers that I know, he would have rather died on that field than go home and sacrifice his family. But he just got caught up in it. And so the solution is literally just to enjoy, enjoy what's in our life. And uh, Paul goes so far as to, as to make this point in Philippians 4.8. He thinks it's worth saying. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's really good advice. It's really good advice. It's really powerful. I think about all the things that afflicted me last year. And if I had just done this, if I had just done this, it would have saved me from a lot of grief. Um, I really like, uh, I like an author, Anne Lamont. She's written a bunch of books, but I really like Bird by Bird. And she has a great quote I'd love to share with you. She says, there's ecstasy in paying attention. You can get into a kind of Wordsworthian openness to the world where you see in everything the essence of holiness, a sign that God is implicit in all of creation. Or maybe you're not predisposed to see the world sacramentally, to see everything as an outward and visible sign of inward and visible grace. This does not mean that you are worthless Philistine scum. Anyone who wants to can be surprised by the beauty or pain of the natural world, of the human mind and heart, and can try to capture just that, the details, the nuance, what is. If you start to look around, you'll start to see. Rachel's done a uh, mindfulness exercise with me that's really powerful, where she has me just focus on one sensation. Like, one thing I can see, one thing I can hear, one thing I'm feeling, and like, savor it, like get all the way in. We have birds of paradise plants in our backyard, and that orange that comes out of the birds of paradise is insane. That is a crazy color. It gets better the longer you look at it. I swear, go try this, go find one. It's amazing. George isn't here today, but he pointed out to me that the trees outside the in and out by my house are rainbow eucalyptus trees. 
It's a tree the color of rainbow sherbet ice cream. It was right there the whole time. I've never noticed it. And now every time I drive by, I'm like, oh, it's so cool. It's so crazy. The greens, the oranges, it's all just packed in there. It's amazing. There's things, whatever season of life you're in, there are things to savor every day, right? Small things and big things. And so the solution to so many things in our life is just focusing on these wonderful, beautiful things. Um, I also like how Steve Covey puts it. He's a business writer, and he just says, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. I like that. That works for me. That's very, very easy to do. And for us in this room, the main thing is Jesus. That's the main thing. Our inheritance is God himself. It's God himself is our inheritance. He gives himself to us in his spirit, in our hearts, and he promises forever in his presence. And he gives us his approval and his love and his mercy and his grace. And it's really powerful just to think about it. It's really powerful just to remember it, that he's given us so much. It's just right there for all of us at any time. It's right there to pause in our moments of trial and to remember what good things have been given to us. And, of course, the tantamount example of this whole concept of not getting distracted and staying focused on what matters the most is Jesus himself and the life that he lived. It's worth saying. He went so far as to say, my bread is to do the will of the Father. Like, what literally sustains me is to please my Heavenly Father and to do his will. And there were so many distractions for him, weren't there? People wanted so many things from him, whether it was like healing or food or to be king or to get rid of the Romans or the... um, to call it the Pharisees when they were being corrupt, like so many distractions. And Jesus was so focused on saving us. Like he did not get distracted from the main thing. He, Jesus worked really hard to, to get into secluded spaces to pray. And that's brought up a lot all the time in, in, in sermons and messages, usually with the emphasis of how important prayer is. Look, Jesus did it. It's really, really important. But I also imagine that like those were his mindfulness moments with all those pressures on him all the time. Like he had to get away just to remember like why he was even there. Like how easy to get derailed if all you ever hear is what other people want, what they think, or you know what I mean? All those different energies. So I think Jesus was the you know, original practicer of mindfulness. So I hope, I hope you can... Identify your squirrels. That's good. Point them out. I can tell you that after that day with Scott and Lucy, every time I walked by the window and saw that squirrel out there, I was like, not today, Satan, you know? Or at least I put my kids down, right? Just me and you, furry rat, mano a mano, no innocence in play now, you know? Just like, remember, let's just set the stage. Let's be, you know, let's be on point here. And Oh, man, I just, I can't impress upon you enough. And this is a message for me more than anyone, but we have so many good things, even in the darkest moments. And so I hope you guys can lay hold on those, um, and especially going into this next year, day to day, whenever it's hard. You know, have people remind you, you know, encourage other people in it. So um, that's what I have for you this morning. Let's pray real quick, and then the worship team coming back up. Yeah, okay. Lord, we just thank you for what you've given us. And for your spirit, 
And we just pray for a mindfulness and a willingness to lean into you and lean into what we love and ability simply to enjoy the good things in our life, that we be filled with joy, that when others see us, they wonder what the source of this joy is. And we can tell them that it's our confidence in you, that our father owns a cattle on a thousand hills and he's already done the good work and he calls us by name and he loves us in spite of all that we've done. And so, Lord, we just pray for this spirit and for this peace um, that transcends all understanding. Um, We love you, and we ask these things in the name of your good son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.